We are the uh, Wagner family, and it's a joy to be with you. And uh, appreciate the message this morning from God's Word about God's Word and the vital importance, necessity it is. It, it ties in perfectly with a presentation like this, and I didn't have to preach this morning, so that's a joy for me as well to feel like I can get to know you better by being here and, um, and meeting, meeting you. So I uh, want to talk about a, a couple to, um, passages that relate to the ministry of Bible translation and how that uh, relates to the broader topic of ministry. Uh, we often refer to it as the Great Commission and often think of that in a global sense, but r- realizing that all of ministry is, is done uh, out of biblical principles, hopefully, and uh, we'll look at a few of those this morning. Something that we like to call the heart principle comes from a passage in Ecclesiastes 3, and this is um, reading from the King James, and, and I'm, uh, we'll work through this and, and let you hopefully see in some greater understanding of, of how all this ties together. But Ecclesiastes 3.11 says, He, being God, hath made everything beautiful in His time. Also, He has set the world in their heart, so that no man can find out the work that God maketh from the beginning to the end. And um, I'll be putting uh, the, the words here up, up on the screen and, and some slides, and so if you feel like turning the lights out, I don't mind being in the dark. I just now remembered to uh, point that out, and so thank you. That'll... Uh, hopefully help here. As, as we read through a passage, maybe you've read this one and you've thought, huh, I wonder what that means, and then you keep on reading. And you've maybe picked up a commentary and said, huh, I wonder if they know what it means. And it's absent from the commentary. See, commentators have the privilege of not having to wrestle with every passage if they don't feel like it. Now, as a Bible translator, you can't do that. Our purpose is not to interpret God's Word necessarily, but interpretation does aid in our translation, hopefully. And so as we come to a passage like this, there's, there's a phrase that we often wrestle with, and um, God is the subject here. This is a universal principle about people. So what does it mean that He has set the world in their heart? Now, if you have your Bibles with you this morning, don't, or this evening, don't look at them yet, all right? Um, and we'll get to that, but I want us to focus on this word world. And it means something then that it doesn't mean today, that's why the translators used it here. Uh, It doesn't mean the physical world around us, which would be the most common sense of the English word world. It doesn't even mean the the, the spiritual sense of how Christ talks when he says, love not the world. We know he's not talking about the physical world because he qualifies it the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, the pride of life. He's talking about a spiritual sense of those who are opposed to his kingdom and his purpose. Okay, But that's not what it's being used here. And this, this Hebrew word is very common in the Old Testament. It's olam. And so it's helpful to look at a couple other contexts of how this has been used. Proverbs 22:28. Remove not the olam landmark, translated as ancient here, which thy fathers have set up. Deuteronomy 32.7, remember the days of Olam, the days of old. Uh, In Genesis 3.22, and the Lord God said, Behold, the man has become as one of us to know good and evil, and now lest he hath put forth his hand, take also of the tree of life and eat and live, Olam, forever. We've got ancient, old, forever. Let's keep going. Ecclesiastes 12.5, now we're talking the same book that we started in. Ecclesiastes 12.5, 
And desire shall fail, because man goeth to his olam home, his long home. Isaiah 26, 4. Trust ye in the Lord forever, for in the Lord Yahweh, or Jehovah, is olam strength. And this is getting closer to what I think the, the sense that we need to understand in order to properly understand this passage. Um, Ecclesi- or, uh, Isaiah 26, and then also 2 Samuel is very helpful in this. Uh, chapter 7, verse 13. He shall build an house for my name, and I will establish the throne of his kingdom, Olam. You get the sense there's an there's a indication of time when this word is used. A duration of time. Now, the English translators have wrestled with how to translate that in different contexts, but the most common occurrence, and I've just shown you seven different um, contexts, but the most common occurrence are these last two. Everlasting and forever. And there was a sense where the term world had that idea. In the New Testament, Christ talks about this age, and he says, not in this age or in the age to come. Okay, now, we use age in that sense, of a world to come. And so that's how the translators use this in the English language. And that's why you have set eternity, sorry, set the world in their heart. But it's, it's it's best understood as eternity, the world to come, time without end, when, when essentially time is over, that we can't talk about time in that sense because we'll be with God who is timeless. But um, now that we understand the English, that God has put eternity in our hearts, and it's not talking about believers here, this is a universal principle for all humanity. So what does that mean and how does it apply to why we're even talking about this? Some have said it this way. There is a God-shaped void in every human being. There is a sense that something beyond this life has to exist. Something more than the temporal, transient, fleeting breath that we breathe. People recognize that innately. And as you encounter other religions, other worldviews, be encouraged that you are talking to a person that God has put a desire for eternity. That would probably help us in our understanding if we qualify it that way by saying God has given us a desire for eternity. Now, sadly, the world around us tries to fill this with all kinds of things, power, prestige, um, jobs, position, materials, other religions, entertainment. But we know from God's Word that Jesus Christ alone and a relationship with Him, the restoration that only comes from the atoning work of Jesus Christ, can fill that void, that eternity that God has put in our heart. Now this heart principle, this concept of talking about the heart, uh, there's a couple of passages that I'll I'll read for you uh, from Acts chapter 2. And when we talk about missions, we can't um, help but talk about Acts chapter 2. Because uh, this day of Pentecost... And I'm going to pick up in verse 5. Now there were dwelling in Jerusalem Jews, devout men from every nation under heaven. And at this sound, what sound? Well, you have to go back a couple verses. And it's the Holy Spirit descending on the apostles for the first time. And there were visible tongues of fire. They were speaking with languages. But it was the sound of the rushing wind, I think, that, that attracted people in Jerusalem to gather together. And, and so at this sound, um, the multitude came together and they were bewildered because each one was hearing them, the apostles, speak in his own language. 
Now, why is that important? We know at the Tower of Babel, God scrambled the languages, and he did a really good job of it. Thousands of different languages exist today because of that. And yes, it was, a, it was a judgment on mankind because of their rebellion against God. But we are also told in Scripture that God did that so that men will seek Him. God desires men to seek Him, and He does it through their language. And that's what is so monumental about Pentecost. This is not a Jewish religion. Tribal Judaism, if you will, died the day Pentecost happened. And, and that was a shock to uh, the Jewish believers. And we, we have all kinds of, of um, times throughout the New Testament where the apostles are having to deal with this, correcting the understanding of the gospel is not just for the Jews. It's for the whole world. In fact, one neat thing that, that you um, may miss if, if you don't think like a linguist, um, Acts 14 and Paul is, is traveling, he's preaching, and God is using him to do miracles to verify this ministry. And he heals a, a man, and in verse 11 of chapter 14, says, And the crowd saw what Paul had done. They lifted up their voices, saying in Lyconian. That was their language. I don't think Paul knew Lyconian. He would have been preaching in a trade language of, of either Greek or Aramaic. And so as he's preaching and, and speaking... What happens when these people see the, the, the miracle that is done? They lifted up their voices in Lyconian and say, The gods have come down to us in the likeness of men. And Barnabas they called Zeus and Paul Hermes. And then Paul and Barnabas have to rush and stop them. What are they trying to do? They're trying to build an altar. They're calling their priests. They're going to worship Paul and Barnabas. And they're doing it in their heart language. The language they know best. Because when you do something as intimate as worship, it's most natural to do it in your heart language. Okay, what does that mean? Well, throughout the Bible, we see that God is a missionary God. It's not only His acts, it's His character. He is a missionary God. And as we read the Bible, we see that our theology affects our missiology of what we do. But that that missiology should also be the passion for our theology. And the, the, even going back to when the covenant was made with Abraham, what's the promise? What's the blessing? That in Abraham, in his seed, all the nations will be blessed. And we immediately think to Christ, because that's what it's talking about, and Christ's coming, but there was an understood expectation on the people of Israel that they be a light to the world that they be missionaries, that they be sent out because it was not just a message for the Jews. And the Old Testament is the sad story of how badly they failed in that mission, that God-given mission to be the light to the nations. So the day of Pentecost happens and God is correcting their understanding and He's bringing the Gentiles in and praise God, whosoever will may come. And He intends it to be that we go into all the world and teach every nation, making disciples for Him. So we see that God is a missionary God, and we see that He has chosen to do this through what we call the heart language, and, and looking at the heart principle here. The, the one other passage that we'll look at, and, and again, this is just going to be a very brief flyover of this passage, which often pains me to do this, um, because it's not exegeting each passage, 
each verse, but sometimes it's helpful to step back and, and take a sectional overview of especially a passage like this where we see um, so many principles drawn out for us, and, um, and that is Romans chapter 10. We're going to just pick up in verse 14, and, and Paul's going to build an argument here that relates not just to missions, but to all of ministry. He says in verse 14 of Romans chapter 10, How then will they call on him whom they have not believed? And how are they to believe in him of whom they have not heard? And how are they to hear without someone preaching? And how are they to preach unless they are sent? And he explains, as it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the good news. But they have not all obeyed the gospel. For Isaiah, the great prophet, he quotes as saying this, Lord, who has believed what he has heard from us? You can almost sense the frustration coming through, and he's almost throwing his hands up because he was preaching a message that was not being heard with understanding. But verse 17, the culmination of this short section, and you'll find this on our prayer cards, this is instrumental to what we do as Bible translators and being involved in translation ministry. Faith comes by hearing the Word of God. The Word of God is central to all we do. I think of the, the statement in the Fox's Book of Martyrs and looking down the corridor of history and those that have given their life the ultimate sacrifice because of their faith and the statement is made that those who have God's Word when heresy or persecution come are best apt to refuse it. Heresy what are we dealing with in our culture? What are we dealing with in modern Christianity? We may not have the persecution as yet or as they had it. There still is overt persecution all throughout this world. But those who have God's Word are best apt to resist it. And we get to see that, um, that tie into the Word of God here. So highlighting these action words, which really builds the argument Paul is making, um, call on, believe in, hear, preach, send. And we can say that the growth of the church, and this is how it ties into to the ministry aspect, whether globally or locally, the growth of the church is built on these four actions. You have to start at the end of verse 15, though, because of the way Paul builds the argument. We're going to look at it logically. So we see the sending church. We see the preaching witness. We see the hearing person, and we see the believing heart. And from this short sectional overview, we can draw principles that are vital to how we go about ministry. And as we travel as missionaries, connecting with churches, we look for those of like faith, like-minded philosophy. And denominational labels help, but not every Baptist church you go past is going to have what I would see as a biblical principle for ministry and missions. And so in the end of verse 15, how are they to preach except they are sent? And so sending becomes the starting point, and that's played out all throughout Acts. And we can say with confidence that the advancement of the gospel is dependent on the support of great commission churches. I've qualified it not just as churches, because there are a lot of churches doing a lot of good things, but are they doing what God left us here on this earth to do? Great commission. And it doesn't mean just proclaiming the gospel and preaching and evangelism. Go and make disciples is the command. That takes time and effort and energy and it's church planting. 
It's investing in life, touching life, and seeing people change in a very slow process of sanctification to the image of Jesus Christ. So that can't happen without Great Commission churches. Moving backward in that verse, the start of um, uh, 14 or the end of 14 now, how are they to hear without a preacher? And so secondly, we can say the fulfillment of the Great Commission requires the preaching of the Word. Do you realize God has given us a divine mandate for how we go about our methods, or our divine methodology of church ministry? And I'm not just talking mission field. I'm talking right here in your local community. God has, has given us this mandate of preaching the Word. And Scripture even tells us that to the world, it's foolishness. But to those who are being saved, it is the power of God. So what is your responsibility? You say that's all great and good, and for guys to learn in seminary to to be a pastor that's going to keep the faith, but do you realize you have a responsibility to be a part of a church like that? And that takes commitment. Because preaching the Word faithfully is not going to be comfortable. And as you pray for your pastors, who are men with feet of clay, fallible men, but they're who God has chosen to speak His message and hopefully be convicting your hearts and stepping on your toes. And so you've got to submit to that. That's your God-given responsibility to be a part of this process of carrying out the Great Commission. Be a part of a church that is committed to the preaching of the Word and that centrality of ministry. Moving back to the start of verse 14, and we can combine these actions because throughout Scripture, to call on the name of the Lord is to believe in Him. It's the act of salvation, of putting your faith in the saving, atoning work of Jesus Christ. And so the effective preaching of the Word is dependent on the clear understanding of hearers. How shall they, how shall they call on? How will they believe in Him whom they have not heard? And, and hearing throughout Scripture has more than a sense of just hearing with your ears. And that's more of an Old Testament um, basis in the word Shema and, and, and hearing, um, ha- having the expectation of application, of, of responding. And so um, here we have those who hear, but they are not hearing with understanding. And so our responsibility is to make it as clear and understandable as possible. We can't talk people into being saved. We can't convince them and twist their arm. As much as we love them and pray for them and give them truth, we cannot bring them to that saving knowledge of Jesus Christ on our own. So what is our responsibility? What's your responsibility as a a lay person working a job in a sphere of influence that God has specifically placed you to speak truth in a clear, understanding way? And that takes effort. But we have more resources available to us today of understanding God's Word than any other time in history. We, are in, we have an embarrassment of wealth when it comes to biblical studies. Bible studies, growth groups, small group studies, the preaching, the, the, the different resources of helping in, in, in training that's available to us. We should be able to, of all people, be able to clearly under explain so that people can understand. And that's what God expects of us, because the Holy Spirit then does the work. So that's why we need clear understanding of the hearers, and this is where we see a direct tie-in to the ministry of Bible translation. A clear understanding of hearers is most affected through 
their heart language. I know you're already familiar, hopefully, with with the Bernards and the ministry of BI, and I just want to be an encouragement to you about the the work that God is doing around the world. We we realize as missionaries traveling and and, and speaking in churches, we have very little, little to offer. But we come with a vision, not just of what our ministry is, we're really incidental to that, but a vision of what God is doing around the world, not just in this country and in the, in the dozens of churches we get to meet with, but on the other side of the world with brothers and sisters in the faith. And that vision, it also includes how we can be a part of it. And hopefully that will be a blessing, be an encouragement to you. And this is being carried out throughout history and throughout the globe as far as the growth of the church Looking at this one other way that, that you might be, uh, have heard before, but the biblical model of church growth is to build churches which are self-governing. This kind of derives from our understanding of church polity. Self-governing. We're not being governed by any other denomination or church. Self-supporting. Being able to support the ministry without any other um, outside help. Self-propagating. Reproducing is the goal of every church and self-interpreting. Maybe an area that we've, we've, you've not heard or, or talked of in this way. What does it mean to be self-interpreting? It doesn't mean we cut the Bible up and take out the parts that we don't feel comfortable about, like Thomas Jefferson. No, it's what the Bereans were doing. It's studying the Scriptures daily to see if these things were so. And that is necessary in order for people to grow spiritually. Uh, one of the favorite stories uh, from B.I. That, that I like to share comes from the Songhai people in Africa. And as they were carrying out ministry there, French is a trade language that's used throughout Africa, and so one of the opportunities for ministry was to show the Jesus film in the French language. Now the Songhai people, many of them speak French as a second or third or fourth language, but Songhai is their heart language. And so there was a gathering of a couple hundred Songhai people and the, the film was showed, and over those couple of hours, people talked nonstop. And it wasn't that they weren't interested, it wasn't that they were being rude, but they were explaining to each other what that French word meant, what this phrase meant, and they were trying to understand the story that was being preached to them in French. Well, B.I. got connected with the Songhai people and started doing a translation. And when we finished the book of Luke, in a couple of our, our translation projects, we've had the opportunity to do this. We take the text of Luke, now in the Songhai language, and through partnership with the, the people that make the Jesus film, dubbed that in and showed that film again. This is now years later. There were about 500 Songhai speakers gathered for the showing of the Jesus film in Songhai. And for two hours, you could hear a pin drop. And afterwards, one of the nationals came up to the missionary all excited and exuberant. He said, you always told us that Jesus was Jewish, but he's not. He's Songhai. <laughs> because that's the difference that it makes to hear it in your language. And that is very, very hard for us as Americans to understand where many of us don't know a second language and, and have had to work in and out of, of multiple languages, but to understand that God loves us because he speaks our language. As we um, talk about our ministry and some of the reasons we chose BI, uh, these would be ones you're familiar with. Uh, the, the doctrine of inspiration, the commitment to the inerrancy of Scripture, 
is a fundamental philosophy of Bibles International, but also along with that, and, and it drives how we do the process. 1 Corinthians 4, 1 and 2, Paul gives us this, this exhortation, and he says, Let a man so account of us, now he's talking to believers, us, you and me, as the ministers of Christ. Not just, not just the, the pastors and the church leaders. This is you and me. Every single believer. A minister of Christ and a steward of the very mysteries of God. You realize you've been entrusted with something and a stewardship comes with an expectation because a steward is given something that's not theirs. We've been given something that's not ours and it comes with an expectation to be a steward of the very mysteries of God which before were hidden but now we know they've been revealed so that we have everything we need for life and godliness. And that's the, the, the message we proclaim to the world. And Paul concludes by saying, Moreover, it is required in stewards that a man be found faithful. Faithful in our ministries. Faithful in our families. Faithful in our relationship with the Lord, faithful in our translations. And so this process is not quick, it's not easy, and we would reduce it to, to summarizing it this way, that faithfulness to the original text is one of our primary goals. The, the, the accuracy to the Greek and the Hebrew and Aramaic languages that God revealed His Word in, breathed it out and inscripturated it, and that's the main responsibility of us who are called translation consultants. And I won't go into all the details of how that relationship works, but secondly, clarity and naturalness in the receptor translation is the main responsibility of the nationals that we're blessed to partner with, brothers in Christ who know their language better than I ever will. And they're coming to us saying, will you help us? Because they could not fathom doing a Bible translation on their own as far as the training that we've received and... and um, and so that is a fundamental goal for how we do it because for me as a missionary to do the translation, most likely, well, and we have examples of this. One of our missionaries was doing the translation and he would get feedback from the nationals and so he would translate a section and he'd go and show it to them and say, does this make sense? Do you understand this? And they said, yes, yeah, we understand. And so he translated some more and he showed it to them. Yeah, we understand that. He kept getting a positive response every time and he stopped and he thought to himself, I'm not a mother tongue speaker. This isn't my heart language. I shouldn't be getting it right every time. So he learned to ask better questions. Not only did he say, do you understand this? He said, is this how you would say it? Oh, no, 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 that's not how we would say it. This is how we would say it. You see, and if our translation sounds foreign, then it's a foreign religion that they will easily just add to their bag of other religions. And, and that is why clarity and naturalness in the receptor translation is, is such a vital part. All right, that's a lot of, of uh, specifics about the, the process, but to, to show you now the area that the Lord has graciously and uh, called us in these last couple years and even just a couple months, um, how he's clarified this. We are from Cornerstone Baptist Church, where we've been members while I was doing my MDiv there in Greenville, South Carolina. So Pastor and Gary and his wife Jan have been incredible mentors to us and the Cornerstone family there. You know about Bibles International in Grand Rapids, Michigan, which is under the umbrella of Baptist Mid-Missions. So we have, we have a double missions family. We're doubly blessed in that way. And um, it's, a, it's a neat relationship there. The, the statistics, if you, if you saw some from our table, but... 
most people who've never heard these statistics before will be shocked by the fact that there's almost 7,000 languages in the world today. We're not talking dialects like those people up in the Northeast, you know, and they go to the market to buy some lobster and um, you don't know what they're talking about. And I'm probably offending someone now, but, you know, we live in the Midwest and it sets the standard for the English language. And, um, and I can say that coming from Michigan. Thank you. No Buckeyes here, hopefully. Uh, yeah, I know there are. <laughs> uh, all right, getting, getting back to the topic. Languages and the importance of it. Uh, there are still over 4,000 of these languages that don't have a single written portion of God's Word available to them. And that seems astronomical, and it, it gets even more uh, stark or, or discouraging if you realize that there are only 512 other languages that have what we have, a complete Old and New Testament in the language we understand best. How can that be? After all these years of missions... There are about 1,300 that have a New Testament that's been done. And that's a great step toward having all of God's Word available. Another 1,000 that have finished some book, some portion of God's Word, but still over 4,100 languages. Now, lest we get so overwhelmed and discouraged that uh, we think we'll never see the end of this, I'm greatly excited that if we look at the translations that have been done, somewhere around... 2,817, at best of our ability to guess or estimate, that number has doubled in our lifetime. We are living, as it were, in the age of Bible translation, and, and, and yes, technology helps, and it speeds up all the quality checks that we have to do, and, and uh, that's a blessing. Access to people groups, which we really didn't even catalog until the end of the 1990s, so access to these remote people groups who have languages, uh, that's another part. But the main reason we're seeing this growth in Bible translation is because of people. Churches and individuals getting behind this work and seeing the vital need for it if there's going to be a self-governing, self-supporting, self-propagating, self-interpreting church established, an indigenous church. And now, uh, from all the Bible societies that are working, as best as we can figure, there are over 2,100 projects that have been started. Now, that's a long process still. For a New Testament, we're talking 6 to 10 years. For an Old Testament, 10 to 12 years. That's 25-year commitment, but at least something has been started for these thousands of people groups. And that leaves now just under 2,000 languages that have yet to begin. And if you look at a, a map globally of these numbers... It's kind of what you would expect. Africa, Asia, and the Pacifics have the highest concentration of where these remaining languages, unreached, unengaged, no translation, often no alphabet um, to, to begin with, and, and very remote. In fact, you see a box that I drew around that. And um, the 1040 window is something I hope you have, have heard some about or understand a little bit. The, the most unengaged peoples of the world and Bibles International uh, has about 40 of our projects. The vast majority of our translation works going on today are in 1040 window countries. How can that be? These are closed countries. No, they're not. God's not bound by geopolitical boundaries. Yeah. And we've been able to send people in as tourists. And we've been able to connect with nationals. And often a, a pagan government who won't allow traditional missionaries allows a language worker 
even though they know we're doing Bible translation. And so it's exciting to see how these creative access countries are being reached with the gospel. And so this year, as we were getting um, through deputation, we had a vision of, of where God would put us. Uh, we really were open to any area that, that uh, we could live and work uh, with the translation, but we had the opportunity to clarify that this January, Sarah and I went with Glenn and Becky Kerr to see our Asia projects. And this is where we originally thought we would be living and working in um, Pilapool, India, and we have a translation team there with the translation center that's been established in a closed country. We were the only Westerners there. And I'll show you some of the, um, the, the pictures from that. It, was a, it took us uh, about 42 hours of flying to get to this remote region of northeast um, India. And it was a beautiful area. Uh, the translation center, you can see the, the dry rice paddies there and the tea plantations, but a very, very poor country. They still use water buffalo and the, the mud huts and the crowds and the dirt and the filth and, and the inability to speak their languages. We felt extremely conspicuous. The sights and sounds of the city alone um, were, were enough to overwhelm you for weeks. And yet God has raised up a translation center for Bibles International, and nationals who've taken it on as their, their ministry and as the director of this. It's a beautiful facility there uh, for all of our, our 14 projects in India, and I had the privilege of, of sitting in on uh, some of the workshops there. That's Glenn and Becky with the, uh, two of our, uh, us newer BI missionaries, Alex Wheeler and his wife Elizabeth. Um, and the Nationals, I mentioned Fame and, and Sharon, they're the directors there and were wonderful hosts for the two weeks that we spent. But most of our time was spent in a conference room, sitting at computers and projectors and talking through ten chapters of Second Chronicles. And it can sound tedious, it can sound meticulous, but when you see the, uh, the, the understanding of the nationals as you explain the context, like, very much like an in-depth Bible study, you're explaining to them what's going on, and one of them expressed it this way, the words in our brains, they, they wake up when we do these workshops. You're waking up the, the words in our brains. And so they talk through how to best express that in their language, and it was a joy to be working with these pastors and these, these believers who have a further reach than any American missionary could hope to go in this corner of the world. And what a, what a joy to see their testimonies and their sacrifices. So we enjoyed our two weeks there, surveying the, the prospect of moving a family to this area. But our heart has been all along, and maybe some of you picked it up from, from seeing our, our table, but we started out deputation having to be a little bit uh, covert about how we describe this, and so we would say Southeast Asia. That has changed, and now I can talk about Myanmar specifically, as I had the chance uh, to go with Glenn then for two more weeks in the main city of Yangon, where we have seven projects already underway. And Yangon is a city of about five and a half million people in a country of a, uh, about a tenth of the population and a very third world uh, country that it is. And yet there are seminaries that are openly teaching the gospel now. I, I visited this seminary when I first did my internship years ago. It was a shell of a building. They weren't able to be overt about what they were doing there and now that's changed. It's a 10-building campus. They have 110 students. They have 80 graduates that are serving in Myanmar 
formerly known as Burma, uh, is how most of you might, might know that, but to see their, their heart to reach their own people. So we had the chance to um, spend two weeks walking around, uh, getting familiar with this, this needy urban center and, and uh, the stark contrast between the third world developing into having cell phones for the first time last fall and cars that are not 30 years old and a Wi-Fi signal that I could actually Skype with. These are developments that they never had before. I had the chance to preach at a Burmese church that very well will be a church that we connect with once we get on site there, as that's been our, our prayer, and the Lord is now answering that prayer. It's a church plant there in one of the most crowded, busy areas of Yangon, and Pastor Peter was a real blessing to, to spend time with and get to know uh, the, the ministry. Paul Von Ray, the, the man next to me, you'll, you'll see him here again. Uh, he's a dynamic preacher, and so it was great to have him as my interpreter, and uh, he, he preached better than I did, so that's, that's a blessing when you have someone like that as your interpreter. This was the Matu team that we worked with, Dr. Ong, but the Falam people are, are some of our, our best colleagues there and have made lots of inroads in the work that's going on because we, we don't have any people on site. It's all nationals, and our translation consultants like Hans, like Troy, like Glenn, travel in as a tourist for a couple of weeks to do these workshops. That's how it's been for the entire time our projects have been underway, and uh, you'll hear about that now, I want to show you a video of some of the sights and sounds. And, and for those who are familiar with BI, uh, most of this video is from an emphasis they started last fall for a Myanmar translation center. Now, there's a, there's a reason I'm going to show this to you, because I want to tell you how God has been answering that prayer since this was put out. But it'll give you a good understanding of the um, area. So I'll play that. Buddhism. Through the centuries, however, God has used many of his people to sacrificially plant the seeds of the gospel in the country. Perhaps the most well-known of these people is Adoniram Judson. With nothing but the call of God on his life, he persevered through many difficulties to become, in 1813, one of the first missionaries sent out from America. When his 37 years of mission work were completed, he had left the Burmese people with many Baptist churches, a Burmese English dictionary, and the entire Bible translated into the Burmese language. In 1899, Baptist missionaries Arthur and Laura Carson made their way into the Chin Hills in the northern region of Burma to share God's truth with savage headhunters. Laura's initial reaction to her husband the morning after their arrival was, I cannot stay here. But God allowed the Carsons to minister to the Chin tribes for nine years, with another 15 years served by Laura alone after the death of her husband in 1908. The faithful efforts of such people in years gone by left a significant number of strong Christians in Myanmar. And by God's grace, 
Bibles International is privileged to build on the foundation that others have laid by now assisting people groups in publishing the Bible in their respective languages. In 2006, Bibles International established the Bibles International Myanmar Society. To date, BI has printed New Testaments for the Volkau, the Falamchin, the Tetumchin, the Matu, and the Zotung people. Several other scripture and literacy projects are ongoing. Through the years, many Burmese Christians have expressed their sincere gratitude to BI for bringing God's word to them in their language. And we'd like to say thank you to uh, BI and because of uh, you provide a New Testament for our people. Our people are very, very happy to have this uh, Bible and they're really very excited and also for use for studies for ministers. So we are preparing for uh, translation of the Old Testament. Uh, we are very uh, happy to have uh, the Old Testament in the near future. Thank you so much and God bless you. The need for Bible translation in Myanmar extends well into the future. In addition to adopting Old Testament projects once New Testaments are completed, BI is being approached by other people groups who are eager to have God's Word in their languages as well. Currently, of the 115 languages spoken in Myanmar, 33 have only portions of the Bible and 50 have no scripture at all. But in order to continue our Myanmar ministry in years to come, an adequate facility is needed. Bibles International Myanmar Society has, in its eight years of existence, operated on a bare minimum of resources. The rented office space is small, a single secretary handles all of the office work, and there's not enough space for the translation teams to meet for checking sessions. The teams, therefore, gathered at the hotel where the consultants stayed, a very spacious and beautiful venue that offered affordable weekly rates. And though the country was closed to foreign missionaries and even to foreign tourists for many years, BI consultants were able to come and go as the translation ministry went on. However, Myanmar recently opened its doors to the world, and as a result, costs have skyrocketed. Now, a building that sold for $35,000 costs $700,000. Hotel costs have become prohibitive, and paying the rent on the inadequate BIMS office space is not a good use of funds. Our office is very small and we are moving here and there because uh, we do not have permanent office building and we are we have been praying that the Lord may provide a land where we can build a building for BIMS permanent office. In many places where we have a great concentration of literacy and Bible translation projects, it becomes necessary to have a center of operation, especially countries where access to the ethnic groups is very limited or nearly impossible. Therefore, the nationals have to join us at a point in the country, generally the capital, and there we have to have an operation that has uh, materials for them to study, computer network, uh, library, uh, living quarters, and therefore ways to feed them. 
and a place for consultants to stay as well. The Nationals will gauge the seriousness of an organization by uh, the establishment of a locale, a place that is their own, and therefore they can themselves also invest long-term in it. You may never have the opportunity to travel to Myanmar, yet right now, from where you are, you can have a greater impact on Myanmar than any tourist. You can contribute to the purchase of a facility for the Bibles International Myanmar Society that will aid not only BI's current projects, but projects that will be adopted in years to come. An adequate facility will contribute to the overall quality of BI's translation projects and also will aid in assuring efficient use of time and resources. Please pray that God will provide what he knows is best and ask him how you might help. I show that because in the months since it was put out and the interest that it's raised, Bowser International was able to purchase a piece of land in Yangon January of this year, and that's the, the little piece of property where they have a vision to build a four-story building that will be very similar to what I showed you in India, the translation center that is serving the needs of India from that remote region. What they didn't mention in the video, because it wasn't really a thought at that time, is that we could have people on site. And it's been our, our uh, prayer that the Lord would do that someday. And so when we started deputation, we talked about Southeast Asia, we talked about moving to India, and someday, maybe second term, maybe whenever the Lord would open that door, we would be able to go to Myanmar and, and work much more effectively alongside the people. In response to this trip in January, I, I talked extensively with Dr. Bernard, and he was our advocate with Bibles in our, or Baptist Mid-Missions, and they accepted a proposal that I made to move our family to Yangon directly and allow us to, be, to open that field for Baptist Mid-Missions as the first uh, missionaries to go back into uh, this country of Myanmar, and they approved that in March. Uh, we could never have anticipated the timing. After all these years of praying and, and, and um, heading toward work with BI and seminary and now deputation, to be at a place where we feel it's possible for us to take our family and live there. We would be on a business visa as a teacher in that Bible college, but that's something that is possible, and it wasn't just a year or so ago. It uh, wasn't even thought of last fall, even. And uh, the, the way that this is developing and the doors are opening is almost surreal and exciting and, and also a little bit of, of, of um, anticipation of how that's going to work as we're charting some un unknown waters here. But we believe this is the Lord's plan for us, and, and that will be much more effective to work alongside our brothers with this long-term commitment of having a building and a facility. What better way to show our commitment than having not just one consultant, but maybe two as we continue to pray for co-workers. So we will be learning the Burmese language. We'll connect with a local church just as a lay person. Maybe Pastor Peter help. Um, I hope I can get to the point of teaching Sunday school and, and have an out flow of, of the, the ministry there, getting involved. But the Bolkow people, the Matu, the Rawang, possibly a new project that we're looking at, those would become my responsibility once I finish hands-on training with BI 
on the field. And we would pray that the Lord would keep that, o- that door open for the duration of our ministry, if he allows. And that we could see even more people join us in this country. So as, as we um, try to accurately understand God's purpose and plan for us, we would ask you to pray. Um, most of these I've mentioned. Uh, that we've been on deputation now for about two and a half years, and we're getting close to the end. We have uh, 72%. So we've set an objective, a goal of September 15th, when we do our launch seminar with Baptist uh, Mid, that we would be at 100%. And the Lord has greatly encouraged us in that way, and, and churches have called to indicate they'd like us to come back this summer in, in anticipation of that. And so when we finish our, our travels that we have lined up, our meetings through September, we're optimistic that the Lord will um, make that a reality for us. And uh, it's very exciting to be at that stage. But then also um, a little daunting to realize that means the next stage is packing to move a family of seven overseas. And um, so we'll be serving churches the next four months. We're still uh, keep, keeping up with Hannah and Will through schooling as we kind of stretch that out for the whole year with them. I mentioned the long-term access to Myanmar. The visa situation is still needs much prayer. We have to leave five times a year if we go under the visa that's available right now. It's not ideal, but it's much um, more ideal than living in the States and me traveling to Myanmar all the time. We're, we're seeing the outfit and passage come in, um, and, and as I mentioned, the funds for the translation center to still come in. That'll probably take a couple of years before they have that built. But Lord willing, we will be in Myanmar this year. And uh, we thank you for the opportunity to share about this vision that God has given us and how uh, churches can be a part of that. Uh, we've got our information. You're welcome to take any of those materials. There's an updated um, prayer bulletin, which I, I, I think you're familiar with. And there's a, there's a story in there that doesn't name names, but it sounds awfully lot like a farm boy from Michigan and how the Lord's worked in, in some unique ways in our testimony um, there in that, in that prayer bulletin. So uh, go to our website. You can keep up with us that way, and I'd love to interact with you and any questions you have. But at this time, I'll just turn it back over to Pastor and, and close our service.